For the scripture reading this morning, we'll be reading from Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, and then Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Please open our ears, Lord, to your words. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. To the Lord your God, on that day you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. From Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you do pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, Close the door and pray to the Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as hypocrites. Do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father. 
who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Thanks be to God. Well, today we continue our sermon series in the Easter season. A series titled Life-Giving Lineup, God's Guidelines for the Good Life. And this is an exploration of the Ten Commandments with doing it in a little bit different way. Looking at the Fourth Commandment, the commandment to observe the Sabbath as kind of the entry point to those Ten Commandments. And looking at the entire Decalogue in light of the Sabbath. We are looking at the Ten Commandments as a lineup, like a lineup in baseball. There's ten. Think of it as a batting order. Well, if you think about baseball and softball and that batting order, there's something special about number four in the lineup, isn't there? That has traditionally been known as the cleanup hitter. Usually, your best hitter, the hitter with most power, is placed in that position. Now, for my friends out there who join me in, in uh, watching the University of Washington's great women's softball team, right now they have their best hitter in the leadoff position who won a, with a walk-off home run in extra innings yesterday. And so we're really excited about that. But normally, your greatest hitter is going to be hitting the cleanup position, the fourth position. So all through the years, all the great home run hitters, Babe Ruth was a cleanup hitter. Um, the idea with that is that there are three bases, and you would put your hitters one, two, and three, you'd put your best players at getting on base into those positions, and then your cleanup hitter would then be your best hitter who could hit maybe a home run. And what happens if you hit a home run when all the bases are full? It's a, it's a that's right, it's a grand salami around these parts. Uh, but yes, a grand slam for those worshiping in other municipalities who, who did not have the benefit of Dave Niehaus doing the color commentary for for baseball. That's the long, long-time uh, Mariners broadcaster who we, we still miss uh, his voice. Well, there is a lot of strategy that goes into deciding who is the fourth hitter in the lineup. The fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments is no less strategic The fourth commandment, the commandment to observe the Sabbath, is right in the middle. That should be fairly obvious. But like a lineup in baseball, you also have the the commandments in front of it are like the top of the order. And the commandments behind it are like the bottom half of the order. And this is actually wired into biblical interpretation and also into Presbyterian theology. In our confessions, we speak of the Ten Commandments, or God's law, having two tables, two tables of the law, and oftentimes they are, they are seen as two tablets, like the tablets that, that Moses carried down from Sinai. And the first table of the law has to do with commandments focused on loving God. 
And then the second half, or the second table, are commandments that have to do with loving people. Now, Jesus himself, when asked about the two greatest commandments, boiled it down to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And what he was doing there was really summarizing the Ten Commandments, the two tables. Well, Sabbath is right at that point between those two. And so it has a lot of connection with us loving God. There's something about Sabbath that helps us to love God, and we're going to talk about that more in detail next week. And then the following week, we're going to look at it from the other direction and see how Sabbath might actually help us to love our neighbor better. But today we're going to get to know this cleanup hitter a little bit better. Maybe look at the stats. What is this commandment about? And what did Jesus have to say about it? And probably, you know, more specifically, what relevance does it still have for our lives? But first, I have a question for you to discuss. During this season, we're also giving you a chance to turn to two or three neighbors around you to discuss your response to a question. And I know all of this talk about sports rules can bring up uh, some of our own opinions about those rules that we find either ridiculous or superfluous. So that's your question. What sports rule do you think is the most ridiculous or superfluous if you have an opinion? Turn to your neighbor and share with each other right now. If you're online, go ahead and maybe fill in your answer in the chat. Hey, I'm, I'm curious, did anyone mention the, the new rules in Major League Baseball this year? Some of you did? Yes, you are baseball purists. It's amazing that in sports we talk about purists just like in biblical law, right? You know, like you had the Pharisees who were these purists. But baseball has purists for rules too. Uh, and it may have been one of those rules or another one. Luckily, I was in a group and we were, none of us were dyed-in-the-wool golfers, and we were kind of addressing some of the issues in all of the golf rules, which I know, you know, the birthplace of golf was in Scotland. This birthplace of our denomination was also in the Church of Scotland, and I know that can be a little sacrilegious to, to, to bring up that and question the rules of golf, but, but uh, it may have happened. Well, okay, let's look more specifically at, at this uh, rule that comes to us in the Ten Commandments. It, it comes to us as a rule, and, and it, in fact, has been a rule that has led to more rules. Probably, I venture to say, more than even the other commandments, it has been a rule that begets more rules. So let's take the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They were known for their faithful keeping of the Sabbath, and they tended to make sure that everyone knew that they were keeping it. And they went to great measure to make sure they themselves were seen that way and also to make sure others were doing that. And they had hundreds, literally hundreds of rules that you needed to follow in order to be following this one rule. Well, Jesus and his disciples, as we read in the Gospels, 
didn't buy into that particular follow a million rules in order to follow the one rule. They were more focused on the one rule. Uh, And Jesus had a number of important things to say. We're going to talk about a few of those later in the sermon. Uh, And had a few clashes with the Pharisees over this along topics like, was it okay to gather food to eat on the Sabbath? Uh, Is it okay to heal sick people on the Sabbath? Two things that in those million rules that the Pharisees had were against the rules, but Jesus made a great case that in fact those were living out the spirit, the true spirit and essence of the Sabbath. Now fast forward in our Presbyterian heritage to the Puritans in colonial New England. Did you know that, that they were part of our family? Actually, so much to be grateful for for the Puritans. Um, and that's for real. They've gotten a bad rap kind of uh, in recent years. But, uh, but a lot of things, I mean, they were the folks who, who, who started higher education in North America. Uh, their first uh, uh, institution of higher learning, Harvard University. Have you heard of it? Uh, and that was all about, all about making sure that, that, that men and women, boys and girls, could read so that they could read the scriptures for themselves. That was, that was the essence of higher education in the colonies. There's much to appreciate it, but when it came to keeping the Sabbath, it's like they, they got in touch with their inner Pharisee, perhaps, and, and they also came up with a whole lot of thou shalt nots that got heaped on to this one commandment. Um, and, and also they, they were known to enforce them in a way that could at times be cruel. Uh, and often with a punishment of fines. So uh, there was no cooking allowed on the Sabbath. Uh, no decorating the church on that day. If there was decor, it had to be done ahead of time. Uh, no travel on the Sabbath, no whistling, (laughs) and no kissing, no kissing on the Sabbath. And of course, more germane to our discussion in the sermon series, no playing sports. Um, You know, in fact, that had been in that era in, uh, in Britain, actually, in the 1600s, it was a fairly important topic. And King James I, yes, that King James of the King James Version, uh, uh, which was, uh, published in 1611, Uh, in 1618, King James uh, published something that clarified some rules for England, and there was a rule that gave permission to people to play football on Sunday afternoons. So for all of you soccer fans out there, you got special permission from the king to to play soccer on the Sabbath. Wasn't that a special thing? Uh, But for many... The mention of Sabbath might bring this up. So for some of us, this is that time of like truth-telling that's like, okay, yes, Pastor Kurt, all this talk of Sabbath makes me think of not having any fun. You know, someone telling me, this is what I can't do. But let's take a look at the Sabbath. You'll see that the Sabbath, yes, is this key commandment in the middle of these Ten Commandments. And it helps us uh, to love God and observe those first three commandments. But it also sets the table, basically, for the commandments that follow that are all about loving our neighbor. It has more words in the Ten Commandments itself than any of the other commandments. So that shows a little bit that it belongs as the cleanup hitter. It also holds a powerful place in the lineup. More than a third of all the words in the entire Ten Commandments 
are words describing this commandment. So this is how it looks if you look at it in a kind of a graphic way um, uh, in terms of number of words spent on each commandment. So Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 14, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Sabbath, a Hebrew word meaning rest. Connecting to verse 14, you shall not do any work. You shall not do any work is just one way of saying rest. Now, it doesn't, the commandment doesn't say rest because if you speak Hebrew, whenever you see the word Sabbath, you're seeing the word for rest. And so there's plenty of rest in here. Sometimes we miss that if we don't recognize that the word Sabbath means rest. And I mentioned last week that the Ten Commandments are in Deuteronomy in a teaching context... And in Exodus, in more of a narrative story, the giving of the Ten Commandments, and there is a little bit of a difference in those two accounts of the Ten Commandments when it comes to the Sabbath. Because the Exodus account gives us one of the reasons why we rest on the seventh day. Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God created the world in six days. None of us, right, has ever worked as hard and as dedicated as God did in those six days. Is that a safe thing to say? And so if God rested after that work, certainly we can rest as well. God invites us to do the same. Now, in addition to doing it because this is the rhythm of uh, creation, this is kind of God's rhythm Work, and then rest. Work, and then rest. And, and some would say, if you really look at kind of uh, uh, Western history, is that the whole idea that even we could have a day off from work comes from this. So we need to give uh, proper respect, or props, if you will, uh, to the fourth commandment for that. Uh, because I, I'm not sure we could really make a case that we would have days off from work, if there hadn't been the Sabbath kind of mixed into that, that thing. But beyond this, it is also what biblical scholar William Barclay calls, quote, a great piece of social and humanitarian legislation. This rule is comprehensive of all stations in society, even those who serve others are given that day of rest. Did you notice even what Barclay calls the toiling beasts get the day off? You don't even have to be human to get a rest on the Sabbath. And even strangers or foreigners, you know, those who may not have the same rights, certainly do not have the standing, they also get a day of rest and I think it's important to mention that in a, in a patriarchal society uh, that, that was the Hebrew society at this time, that it wasn't that you would kind of expect potentially 
or one may expect, that the rule would have been, okay, for all of you adult men, you have a day of rest, and then everyone else needs to serve your needs to make that possible. But no, now the comprehensive nature makes it harder to make it work, right? So if no one can do any work, who's going to provide the meal? That's a question, and by the way, the Jewish tradition has an answer for that, and you can research that. But, the, um, but it's important to know that it's not that anyone else was supposed to serve the needs of others so that they could rest. Everyone gets the day off. Verse 14, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And verse 15 gives the reason for that. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out. And so in a world bent toward oppression of workers in pursuit of profit, the enduring impact of the fourth commandment is considerable. But let's look at the Sabbath connection to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus focused, when it came to the Sabbath, on integrity over hypocrisy. The thing that links, or the word that links uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to his discussions throughout the Gospels of the Sabbath is the word hypocrite. It's featured in Jesus' teaching on the spiritual practices of giving, uh, giving to the needy, and prayer, and fasting that we read in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, in the Sermon on the Mount. Sabbath, in fact, provides time for those practices. Sabbath helps us to actually do them and incorporate them into our lives. Yes, the day of rest on the Sabbath is a day of rest, but it's not a rest from our relationship with God. It's actually the exact opposite. We invest our time in that relationship. It's not a rest from prayer. It's an investment in prayer. And here's some some of the teachings that Jesus gave on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So this is Jesus' way of saying, hey, this Sabbath rule is life-giving. It's meant for our good. Not that we would serve a law, but the law would serve us. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning Jesus has an authoritative relationship to the Sabbath. And then Jesus put that authority into practice by saying it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Again, that doing good to others is part of the spirit of the life-giving property of that commandment. In Luke 13, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue that day, and, and he healed a disabled woman. And the leader of the synagogue said, hold up, you can't do that. You're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you hypocrites and he goes went on and kind of shed light on the fact that they untie their animals to lead them to water on the sabbath and that's okay but they wouldn't be okay with this woman being freed from her affliction by god so we take that word hypocrite that jesus used in his encounter with the pharisees about the sabbath and we go to matthew 6 Verses 5 through 6, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, but go into your room, close the door, and pray. The word hypocrite, this is fairly well known, uh, in, uh, at least in church circles, because pastors say this and share this information. It might be new to some of us, but in Greek, the word hypocrite is, is rooted in basically the word for actor, 
that you're playing a part, maybe putting on a face or a mask of someone that you are not within, and you're just playing a part so others will be seen and give you the applause. And so Jesus says, don't do it out just for applause so you get all the glory. Do it for your relationship with God. Jesus speaks of doing these in secret, just for God, not for show. So for Jesus, Sabbath is a sign of authenticity. If you have faith in God, if you claim to be a Christian, investing time in your relationship with God in the Sabbath is part of Christian integrity. Sabbath, rest, backs up our claims of having faith. And this is observing Sabbath without fanfare. My first encounter with this was... uh, was with Eugene Peterson, who early in my, uh, my formation as a pastor, actually it was a mentor while I was in seminary, a pastor I worked with, her name was Jane Krause Jackson, and she was a wise woman toward the end of her career in ministry, and she invited me to read a particular book of Eugene Peterson's called Working the Angles, The Shape of Pastoral Integrity. And in the, the opening chapter of that book, Eugene Peterson, another wizened uh, man who served as a pastor for many years, said, you know, pastors, and he was speaking to me, it's really easy for us to fake it. We, our job is to talk about God. So it just seems like everyone would think, because you're talking about God, that you have this deep well of a relationship with God. And he said, the, the truth is that we pastors find it difficult to live with integrity, the demands of ministry. You know, like some say the, the, being a pastor is like being a stray dog at a Whistler's convention, right? Everyone has these needs, and when they have those needs, you got to go to it. So when do you carve time away to just be, to attend to that relationship with God? It's, it's hard for pastors, but it's not that it's not hard for everyone else as well. Integrity over hypocrisy and faith. That's the essence of Sabbath for all. So in conclusion, next week, we're going to look at how the Sabbath helps us observe the commandments at the top of the order. And these are the commandments about honoring God, loving God, with our whole heart, mind, and strength. But we finish up this week with an illustration. I want to return us to the cleanup hitter. And this really goes for any truly great athlete. An athlete who is not taking shortcuts, but truly for their pursuit of excellence in the sport, puts in the work without fanfare, without the fans needing to see what they're doing. Think about the great athletes and, and the amount of work that they put in in the offseason. Waking up early, working, deepening their skill, their craft. We never really know how much they spend investing in that pursuit. And that's the point. We're not meant to know that. That's for them to invest. 
That's their integrity. And in our role as worshipers of God, guided by the Spirit and empowered by that same Spirit, friends, we are called to strive for that authenticity and invest the time. Amen.